Welcome to the Happy Nervous System Podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Delahook. What we know about mental health is rapidly changing, and I help you stay up to date on the major paradigm shifts from dating to love to parenting. Get ready to learn about your body, regulate your nervous system, and improve your life and relationships with ease. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the Happy Nervous System Podcast. This is your host, Kendra Delahook. Today we have Mia Raymond on the podcast, and she is just incredible. She was my supervisor um, several years ago when I was working at an eating disorder treatment facility, and I just love her. I love her as a person. I love her affect, and she is so effective with helping clients with eating challenges and also different kinds of trauma. So I'll share a little bit about her and then we will get started with the conversation. Mia Raymond is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified eating disorder specialist, and IAEDP approved supervisor. She is licensed in California, Oregon, and Florida for telehealth. She's been working in the field professionally since 2008, working with a variety of populations, including addiction, mood and anxiety disorders, and of course, eating disorders. Mia has worked with eating disorders at higher levels of care for a decade, including as a clinical director and clinical supervisor. Her coolest claim to fame is speaking at ICAD, an international addiction conference on eating disorders in London in 2017. I hope you love this conversation. We dive into several topics related to fat phobia, learning how to identify if you have an eating disorder, and how to help raise children who accept and love their body and all body shapes and sizes. Let's get started. Yay! Well, today we have Mia Raymond on the show. I'm just so happy you're here. Um, I've shared your intro already, but for those listening, Mia has just truly been an angel to me and someone I look up to and really a mentor when I was working at a treatment center that was pretty tough. (laughs) So I just think you're so wise and you bring so much wisdom and peace to the conversation of eating disorders and body image challenges. So thank you so much for being here. And everyone who's listening is really in for a treat. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive in, do you want to share just a little bit about why and how you got into the eating disorder field and why you started going down that road? Yeah. So it was not something I wanted to do. It was actually way too close to home um, and not a population that I really planned on working with. But I was offered a an internship right out of grad school, which is always a treat and something so rare. So I had to take it and I I pretty much fell in love. I mean, I just fell in love working with the clients. I was working in um, the, if I remember correctly, the last remaining locked facility in California. So like hardcore psychiatric hole, this was reasons before it was reasons. So BHC Alhambra had an eating disorder unit. 
And like, I just spent hours there five days a week and just fell in love with the people I was talking to and their stories and what got them there. And yeah, I mean, there's just a huge heart connection. So I couldn't really imagine doing anything else. I do work with other populations, but there's for sure a heart and soul connection with eating disorders. Amazing. Amazing. And how many years have you been working with eating disorders? It's been about 14 now. Amazing. Yeah. So I usually share on this podcast, my why for starting a space to really talk openly about hard topics. Mm -hmm. And I love being a therapist, but this podcast has really allowed me to bring on experts to have difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations So I'm really happy to have you on because I want to talk more about hard topics that might bring up feelings for people listening. Mm -hmm. And just as like a personal side note, being female living in LA, it is crazy out here. And I am, I'd like to think I'm very educated in the topic, but I still notice how incredibly sneaky diet culture is. And even professionals who I really trust can share sometimes like toxic advice and information. So I would just love to hear from you where you think we're still getting it wrong when it comes to eating disorders, diet culture and and body image. Such a good question. Thank you for asking it. And thank you for being so courageous to invite your listeners to hear some real talk about a topic that impacts so many of us. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lack, huge lack of trauma-informed care, which is why it's so cool that we're having this conversation together. I think we've done a good job in the last few years of trying to bring more trauma-informed care to eating disorders, but we're really still not making or even coming close to hitting the mark. And we're missing a lot of people. Um, Like the foundation of eating disorder work has to be trauma-informed care. It has to be drama, trauma work. It has to be body work. And if we don't do that, we're not really giving these clients an opportunity to heal because the work really starts at the nervous system, as you know. And so I think we're missing the mark there. I think we're doing a tremendous job trying to have more exposure to diet culture and what that means and having conversations about fat phobia and what that means. I mean, we live in a culture that is terrified, terrified of fatness. And so even the word I was thinking about it coming on today, fat phobia is kind of the new trending word and we're all using that. And I'm so grateful, but even that word isn't doing enough because that word is, is a phobia of fat. And we can't really associate something that has ties in social oppression to not to minimize this, but like a fear of spiders, for example, like, so, so a word that's much more empowering to those struggling or not even those struggling, just people impacted by diet culture, which are all of us is fat, fat misomia, which is essentially the hatred, the hate of fatness. Mm -hmm. And I think that word really touches just much more clearly on the issue at hand. So I think those two things are the things that we can do a a lot better job at and we're trying and it's a work in progress, but yeah. Oh, when you, when you said that fat hate, like that hit me and that, that feels like such a real thing. People hate it. 
And I think it's appropriate to take it like one step farther than just a fear. And so I like that reframe. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really hard to acknowledge that. You know, I think that's the hardest part of, I think most people would consider themselves not racist, but yeah, you know, I think if we've learned anything in the last 20 months, that internalized racism is there. And the same is true for our fear of fatness, our fear of becoming fat, our fear of witnessing fat. Um, I mean, there's so much fear around it within the medical community. And so it's okay, like for your listeners, it is okay if things are coming up for you, if you're feeling things that are coming up. Like these, this is a really uncomfortable topic, as Kendra was mentioning. And to just have willingness to acknowledge that there is that fat phobia is so, so important and such a first critical step we can all take to just start to fix this problem culturally. Mm-hmm. And that first step is so hard. It's so hard to acknowledge a problem. I think it's way easier and less threatening to not acknowledge it and live in a space of denial. So yeah, being gentle with yourself. And I love the word curious. I think curiosity is so important. So just like noticing as you're listening to this and our conversation, if there are some thoughts or feelings, just being curious about where those are coming from, I think will be important. But when it comes to this intense, like fear or hatred of fat or bigger bodies, how can listeners identify if they have this or if they have internalized it over the years? I think all of us have (laughs) to call everyone out, but how can you help them recognize if this does apply to them? I think curiosity is the perfect word. You know, I think exactly what you're saying of we are all struggling with this. Like nobody is immune to this. We learn this young. We learn this culturally. We, we just, it's everywhere. Um, and so I think it doesn't make you a bad person to, to have these messages. Like, I think the first step is acknowledging that we do, we have been conditioned societally to believe these things and their stories, their stories that we're telling ourselves, their thoughts at the end of the day. And the only way to change those thoughts is by initially acknowledging the thoughts. So take a deep breath. And if you can, even just listening to this conversation, like, yes, you probably have some hate towards the idea of fatness and that doesn't make you a terrible person. That just means you're a work in progress and we all are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And why would you say as a well-versed clinician who supervises many other professionals, it's important or can be beneficial to yourself and to the world to work on your own issues with, with fat and with body image types? Why does it matter? I mean, I don't, I, I'm a firm believer in full and whole healing. And I think we can't really do this work. We really can't be the best version of ourselves if we're not connecting back to ourselves on a body level. And so it's not that you have to do this work, but I think it will absolutely make the work that you're already doing richer and deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it takes healing obviously deeper, but then I'm sure impacts relationships, how you show up. And then I always say this work matters so much for little ones and generations to come to change what we're doing. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up for parents that are listening. I mean, that's such a critical piece of, again, acknowledging your own body dissatisfaction. And I want to differentiate those two things. We throw out the term body image all the time. Body image is actually how we feel within our bodies. So it's actually a lot of the work Kendra does in terms of nervous system regulation, but body dissatisfaction is how we perceive others perceive our bodies externally. And so if you're throwing that term around, it just, again, I I think another piece of this is semantics, like do your own research. There's tons and tons of good information out there. The health at every size movement is out there and loud and people are advocating. And so there's a ton of wonderful influencers out there. Um, Body image with free. I hope it's okay. I'm just throwing out these names, but they're wonderful. Um, Your fat friend, like there's just a lot of really wonderful people advocating for more awareness of those that struggle in larger bodies. Yes, please share all the resources. I think we can't share enough. Okay. Um, I also, I want to circle back to the medical community yeah. because I really believe like all the stories from my clients and also friends and family members, a lot of traumatic moments and memories that were foundational in influencing their body image or body dissatisfaction happened with doctors or even like dietitians and nutritionists or health coaches, whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. And this is tricky. I think it's a huge problem, but do you have any thoughts or ideas of how like fat hatred or fat phobia is like sprinkled into medical advice? Yeah. And I, I feel for the doctors um, because they're just not trained dietitians. I mean, so many of my friends are dietitians. They just don't have this training. I mean, there is not a ton of training in eating disorder work. Even dietitians only have one rotation in all of their training to work with eating disorder patients. And it's, it's essentially a different world. So I always try to lead with compassion. I'm not one of those therapists that's going to yell at a doctor, but I will try to help them feel more educated. And the way I can do that is like, be compassionate of where they got this knowledge. Um, But yeah, it's really sad. I mean, it's really sad. It's tenfold because the clients, I mean, I have clients that go in for, go in to see their OBGYN because they want to get pregnant and they're getting advice on weight loss. And it's like, wait, how are these two related? And there's so much pressure on people and women to be and look a certain way to dictate health when the reality is your weight doesn't actually dictate health at all. And there's a variety of different body sizes that are based solely on genetics, um, that we can't fight. So it's a huge problem. I mean, essentially how I navigate it is I have a very, very small handful of practitioners that I refer to, and I try to work with the providers that my clients are currently seeing. But if there's any fat shaming or body shaming that happens, I pretty quickly try to get them to switch providers because it's just, it's not worth it. It's, it's too painful and too challenging enough to then have to advocate with the provider who's supposed to be the expert. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And extraordinarily confusing to, to be told to do something that you should be able to do that's in your control, that your genetics or whatever can is not letting you do like, that's just so confusing and so harmful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll throw this out there, but 99% of diets don't work. 
So like, listen to that again, like 99% of diets do not work and you will end up gaining more weight back. And yet we're all conditioned to believe that that's the way to lose weight. There's actually no healthy way to manage your weight. And then going back to what you're saying about dietitians, there's this whole idea of weight management. Essentially, we can't really fight our genetics. So we can be more attuned to how we're paying attention to our bodies and listening to what foods feel nourishing and things like that. But anytime we try to make food diet-like, it's really dangerous. Yeah. And bringing in the nervous system back to the conversation, I am, I would love to hear your thoughts on how dieting and being stuck in diet ruts can be damaging to the nervous system. I mean, you're essentially in fight or flight, you know, you're, you're conditioned to survive in a certain way. And then when you are yo-yo dieting back and forth, it's a shock to the nervous system. I mean, your body can't feel safe when you are not trusting it. Um, and you're trying to accommodate, like how confusing you're trying to accommodate your body that's being told is wrong and not okay. And yet you're royally messing with your nervous system because it doesn't feel safe when you're depriving it of food and it needs more nourishment. So it's super, super tricky. Yeah. It's complicated. And of course the nervous system is connected to so many other systems in the, in the body. And it's, there's so many networks. And I think that's why we see so many physical and emotional problems with people who chronically diet or have had a history of eating disorders. Yeah. I mean, speaking to that, like there's so much overlap between GI issues and eating disorders. And I think it can be a chicken or the egg thing of figuring out which thing came first, but the microbiome actually changes through the course of an eating disorder. And so that's really important to know. Like you're, you're literally wow. altering your body by putting it through the trauma of having an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a ton of things you can do working with a really skilled dietitian to help with this. But yeah, I mean, there's science behind the stuff we're talking about. Like this dramatically impacts your body's sense of safety. Yeah. 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 And safety is huge. It's so huge. Um, in order, I think to, to access the higher emotions of like joy and connection. And that's why I just have endless compassion for people who struggle with food because it, it disrupts so many different areas of life. It's really challenging. So challenging. And I guess I want to kind of talk for a moment about the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. There's such a spectrum. I mean, it's food is so primal. It's literally our first relationship. And so, so much happens over the course of a lifetime. Um, And I would say most people are a little bit funky with food, you know? And so it, I guess I just want to throw that out there and normalize that for a second um, and encourage you to get support. If this is something that's taking up a great extent of your day. Like if you're thinking about, do I have an eating disorder? Do I have disordered eating? How much of your day are you thinking about obsessing about what you're eating, how you're trying to change your body, how much you should be exercising, all those sort of what ifs, those really conditional thoughts, maybe you should reach out to somebody. Yeah. One of my questions I had for you is how can a listener identify if they have in quotes an eating disorder or disordered eating, but you just answered it. Are there any other red flags or markers you would say to just look out for, for, for disordered eating? 
Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of physical conditions. You know, if your hair starts falling out, if you have irregular periods, if you start bruising easily, if you feel weak or lightheaded or dizzy, but not always will the body actually start to show physical symptoms. That's the scariest part about eating disorders is you can, everybody's body is so different. And some people can play with the relationship with food in a maladaptive way for a long time. And they don't actually see the long-term negative impacts until much later. Um, So you may be fine. You may go to the doctor and your labs may be perfect. So I want you to think about mentally, like what's going on for you? How much of the day are you thinking about food? How much of the day are you thinking about altering your body? How much of the day are you looking in a mirror and obsessing about how you look or you know, trying on a pair of jeans and ruminating about it. So those symptoms are a lot more prevalent or a lot more important and critical, I would say, than even the physical symptoms. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. They can completely take over. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And for those who just feel hopeless and exhausted and they have tried on their own to overcome eating challenges, Is there hope for them to overcome these challenges? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there has to be a willingness. I have worked with people from every ethnicity, culture, race, gender, and it always comes down to motivation. So there are so many resources out there. I've worked with people across all socioeconomic statuses. I think that's really important. If you can't afford $250 a session, there are there is somebody that can help you. Um, do a Google search, look for an eating disorder specialist, research eating disorder um, treatment centers. Eating Disorder Hope is a great resource. There's tons of groups on there. I mean, I can't tell you how much I was conditioned to believe that um, 12-step programs with eating disorders were super dangerous. And I don't love the language of Overeater Anonymous. I will absolutely own that. That being said, I've known so many people to recover in those rooms that weren't ready for to work with a therapist or just needed that fellowship. So however you get there is okay. There's no one right way to do recovery. And I think that's just really important to know. Yeah. Yeah. And in the show notes, I'm going to fill it with resources I'll get from you of yeah, there's so many, there's amazing influencers out there doing really good work. So I'll ask, um, from you specific resources to share with listeners. Definitely. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I guess like, don't be scared to call. Um, we all get so busy and we imagine that people don't have the time. Like I have had countless calls with parents, family members, those struggling that never worked with me and I connected them with resources. So like that if you can't afford a therapist right now, call, call anyway. Yeah. Love that. Love that. For the parents listening, because I do get quite a bit of, of parents tuning in. Could you share one or two tips or techniques, or probably I should say ways of being to raise their kids, to love their body and to love and accept all body types and sizes. 
Well, as is most things with parenting, modeling, you know, they are such little sponges and they see and they notice everything. So even if you're telling them that they are beautiful, the most beautiful person you've ever seen, and you're hating on your own body or talking negatively about other people's bodies, they are going to know and see that and feel confused by that. That is, I think, one of the most harmful things we can do as parents. So Think about how you're talking and communicating about yourself when you're around your children and think about how you're commenting and talking about other people. Yeah. Yeah. Modeling is everything. I talk about that all the time and I always say it's not what you say. It's, it's how you are like your, the state of your own nervous system, the state, the relationship you have to yourself, to your own body that is where to start. And then the words follow. Yeah, for sure. And body aside, you know, how often are you eating? How often are, what is your relationship like with food? Are you judging particular foods? Are you talking harshly about sugar? Like these are all important conversations um, because again, your kids are going to pick up on all of that. So you're, there's always something you're going to do wrong as a parent, but this is one of those things that you really can be more mindful of. Um, and, and I think it's super important too, that there isn't that discrepancy of praising your child for how they look and then talking negatively about yourself. Cause it's really confusing. And then kids end up taking a lot of responsibility for their eating disorder. The other thing to know is there are many, many reasons why people develop eating disorders. So it is not totally your fault. Parents, by any means, it is one contributing factor. The more willing and curious you are about your child's recovery, the more able they are going to be able to heal. But like, you are not totally at fault for this. Yeah, yeah that's an important message for sure. Great. Anything else you want to share that we didn't touch on or talk about? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a lot of different, there's so many different ideas about food and recovery. And I think that we can get really rigid as practitioners in terms of what the, I I think I alluded to this earlier. I said this earlier, there's like one way to recover. There's one way to heal. Um, And I just want your, your listeners to really hear the idea that whichever, however you do it, whatever feels right to you, like one day at a time, one meal at a time, there is no perfect way to do recovery. And that's a very perfectionistic, archaic way of thinking about it. Wow. So (laughs) important. I never hear that message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There can be so much pressure and it's so black and white. I think so a lot of professionals talk about healing with, with eating disorder. So I love that. Good. Yeah. I mean, if it feels impossible, you're never going to be able to take that next right step for yourself. So if you're thinking about healing your relationship with food, wherever you are in any way, lean into that. Yeah. There's some real intuition there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Where can everyone find you? And are you accepting new clients right now in your private practice? Oh my goodness. Always reach out. I'll tell you where I'm at. Um, the holidays are crazy. So it's pretty much an ongoing waiting list, but I'm happy to talk to you and see what you're looking for. I'm at unchartedhealingwithmia.com. Awesome. And I'll put your Instagram in the show notes. Um, so everyone doesn't get the spelling wrong. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Mia. So happy to have you on. My pleasure. Thank you.